0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for March 8th, 2020. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, A Defense for Playing God.
1: For capable colleagues, both lay and clergy, for Dick Hester's wonderful opening prayer and for Dan's so appropriate moment of confession. On Wednesday at our staff meeting, when I realized, oh, I'm preaching this week and Amy's not going to be here, who's going to do the epilogue? I turned to Jamie Fitzgerald, our new part time youth minister. I said, Jamie, how'd you like to do the epilogue on Sunday? And without hesitating, she said, sure. I'm grateful for good, capable colleagues. Thank you. I saw a picture of Kate Stubblefield on the cover of National Geographic magazine some years ago, and though I'm seldom tempted by the magazine stands, I put down my money, and I could not put down the magazine until I had turned every single page. I will spare the details, which will be more than some of you want to hear just before Sunday lunch but the title says it all, The Story of a Face. In 2014, a vibrant teenage girl tried to end her own life with a gun. She would later say that she had no recall of that event, nor could she even imagine what had led her to that moment to attempt such a thing. Her suicide attempt did not end her life, But an exploding bullet did remove virtually all of Kate's beautiful face. Time magazine later featured her story, noting in 2018 the more than 20 surgeries which have put Kate's life back together. The National Geographic story traces in graphic detail the 30-hour procedure in which a team of surgeons first removed the entire face of a 31-year-old donor. And then painstakingly reattached it, muscle by muscle, vessel by life saving vessel, nerve by aching nerve, to Kate Stubblefield's teenage head. When you hear the words face transplant, you might be tempted to make a joke. When you read the detail why that transplant was needed and all that Kate and her family have been through, you might want to cry when you consider how such a thing is even possible, attaching the mask of one person's visage to the skeleton of another person, making eyes and tongue and lips work, making one body accept such a massive donation from another foreign body, the blood, the antibodies, the immune system, when you consider the years of knowledge piling one discovery Upon the the next thousand discoveries, when you consider the countless hours of medical school study and surgical fellowships, when you consider research centers around the world, those nondescript buildings where unnamed introverts spend thankless hours in basement labs, viewing slides under microscope lenses, filling test tubes and beakers, taking tiny fractional measurements and developing mind-blowing techniques, state-of-the-art equipment, and unpronounceable chemical compounds that end up in neat little bottles in the pretty shelves at Walgreens with common names like ibuprofen. When you consider how such a thing is even possible for Kate Stubblefield, you might want to say, thank you. Yes, just thank you, God, for research scientists and chemists and doctors and nurses and anesthesiologists and social workers and nursing assistants who bring divine healing with their hands. We are playing God these days with our medicine. Aren't you glad? I am. We should marvel at organ transplants and valve replacements, defibrillator paddles and respirators, the life-saving meds and techniques that make Lazarus an everyday name. You remember when Jesus said to his friend already in the grave, Lazarus, come out. Well, doctors do that literally every hour of every single day. Resuscitation of life is no longer a miracle, it's medicine. If our time comes too early and an injection or some cold, sterile equipment can restore a beating heart, every single one of us is going to be grateful that someone was standing there in a white coat playing God. For science, thanks be to God. It is amazing isn't it? What all they can do. When I go to the hospital, I bet I say it every time I go to the hospital. It's just amazing what they can do these days, isn't it? I feel like Gomer Powell. Golly. (laughs) And we cannot even imagine what all is going to be possible. We're just on the threshold of genetic engineering, playing God, We're just stepping into an arena that meshes biology and technology. Prosthetic, mechanical hands that you can control with your thoughts. They're already doing that. We're on the edge of a new world where the physical and the virtual are connected. Chips implanted in the brain. Silicon and synapse in an orchestrated choreography of thoughts and memories. Playing God. Fear not. The angel's command is like the rest of the Bible, still appropriate for a modern world. We have nothing to fear from science. Yes, of course, there are dangers. We live in a nuclear age, and what could be more frightening than 9,500 warheads standing in silos around the world ready to destroy the entire planet with the push of a button? And there are 5,000 old nukes that just need to be waiting, that are just waiting to be dismantled. Fear not. Regarding the coronavirus and his church's response in the coming days, one of my pastoral colleagues wrote to his congregation, I have never thought fear not meant there's not plenty to fear. It is rather because of a hope and an assurance we claim as integral to our faith. Science offers great vistas of promise. Every discovery opening to us new horizons of terrifying possibility. A paradox. Terrifying possibility. They are inseparable. As Frederick Beekner says with insight and much hope, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. That's not science we have to fear. It's people. Misguided, fearful, misinformed people who turn to science alone, or politics alone, or military power, or religious certainty alone as the answer to the uncertainties of the world. But for people of faith, none of those is the answer. Now let me give you just a little bit of Bible history here. If Amy were here, she'd want me to do a a, a line graph and show it to you. I love to to do that. A thousand years before Christ, King David unified the nation. It was a united monarchy under David, and for about 100 years under David and under his son Solomon, they ruled together, but then Solomon's successor could not hold the country together. In the rest of our Old Testament history, the Jews live in two different nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In the year 721, so 300 years after a united monarchy under David, 721, the northern kingdom of Israel was overthrown by the Assyrians farther to the north. Fearful and afraid, the people looked for security and hope. Far to the south, below the nation of Judah, an Egyptian power stood ready for help at a price. The people knew of Egypt's power by reputation and, of course, through their own history of oppression... That bondage which had ended when Moses led the people into a land of promise, that had happened maybe 500 years before. So they knew the history of Egypt. But now, under an Assyrian bondage, they looked to Egypt in the south with hopeful eyes. Writing from the court of the king, however, the prophet Isaiah warned a weary and fearful people, Now, it's just like a preacher to make a suggestion like this. The answer to our problems will not be found where you think they will be found. The problem is that you have turned away from God. Your only strength, your only hope is in returning to God. Now, if that sounds like pie in the sky, a little too pious for you, Consider Albert Einstein's observation that no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. We need a higher, different level of thinking to solve the problems we have created today. And maybe that's what Isaiah was suggesting when he said, Alas, for those who go down to Egypt for help and who rely on horses and who trust in chariots, the Egyptians are human, not God. Their horses are flesh, not spirit. The helper will stumble and the one helped will fall. All will perish together unless we turn to God. The people were understandably afraid. And they turned to what seemed like a reasonable solution. Egypt represented a strategic alliance for their nation. Horses represented military power. Chariots represented the most advanced technology of the day. But the prophet said, no. Our only trust... Our only real hope in this world must be solved at a greater level of consciousness than the one that created our problems to begin with. Trust God. In an amazing 21st century world, truly amazing, truly wonderful in so many ways, many people including an increasing number of our youngest generations, are turning to science for the answer to our problems and the only source of our hope. But material problems cannot be solved with material solutions. In his incredibly helpful book called The Great Partnership on the Relationship of Science and Religion, scholar and sage Rabbi Jonathan Sachs connects the need to humanize our science with our need for God without belief in a transcendent God the rabbi says it is ultimately impossible to sustain the idea that we are free that we are morally responsible agents this week as I was reading Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Sachs, I also picked up a book and read an interview with Jana Levin, who is a mathematician, and she talked about her belief that in all probability, all of life is determined. All of the universe is determined. We are not free. We are just mechanically following along the commands of our genes. The whole universe is determined by the law of physics. And Sachs says, science leaves no space for human freedom. And when freedom ceases to exist as an idea, eventually it ceases to exist as a reality also. Those civilizations built on the abandonment of God and the worship of science, the French Revolution, the Soviet Union, the Third Reich, Chinese communism, these all stand as eternal warnings of what happens when we turn a means into an end. Science as humility in search of truth is one thing. Science as soul reality is another. To humanize our science is to remember God. Now, no less than an atheist like Sam Harris understands the connection between humanity and that which is sacred. In his atheistic screed against religion, even the tolerant religion that we practice, his book called The End of Faith, Sam Harris offers this word, which I think actually identifies the source and the reason for faith. Harris says there is no denying that most of us have emotional and spiritual needs that are now addressed by mainstream religion, and these are needs that a mere understanding of our world, scientific or otherwise, will never fulfill. There is clearly a sacred dimension to our existence, and coming to terms with it could well be the highest purpose of human life. The words of an atheist. Science is fundamentally about mere understandings. God is about meaning. Science cannot address the sacred, which speaks to the highest purpose of human life. We must not separate our science from our humanity, our science from God. If playing God, the term is sometimes derisively used, if playing God refers to walking right up to the borders of life, pushing the edges, enhancing, evolving, extending life, then I believe playing God is not only possible and allowable, but is in fact the response to our God-given calling as co-creators with God. On the other hand, if it means attempting to play without God, we will miss the point. We might end up doing a lot of breathing, but not much real living. For the amazing world that science is continuing to reveal to us, thanks be to God. May it be so.
2: August 27th, 2018. The voicemail was simple, but I could hear in her voice something was really wrong. Jamie girl, it's your Nan. Give me a call when you get a chance. Love you. I returned my grandmother's call immediately. She quickly answered. We did our usual small talk, and then she took a deep, courageous breath and said, we didn't get the news we hoped for. The type of thyroid cancer is rare, and surgery isn't an option. But don't worry about me. We're gonna get through this. We've got God on our side, so we have hope. Anaplastic thyroid cancer. So in typical Jamie fashion, I began to research. My computer became full of Google searches, WebMD, Medicine scholarly articles and blogs. Hours passed as I searched desperate to find a sliver of hope that my grandmother would recover and be cancer free. The research findings though left me pretty sad as the consistent prognosis was bleak. Patients typically don't live more than six months post diagnosis, but I refused to believe these statistics. This couldn't be real. An aggressive cancer diagnosis changes everything. A whole new set of vocabulary is learned, invasive questions asked, blood drawn, biopsies taken, tests run, treatments administered. Everyone moves so quickly, often focusing solely on the diagnosis and tumors while forgetting the human being embodying the cancer. The first few appointments were a whirlwind, and then finally we were able to exhale while meeting with her primary oncologist, Dr. Paul. She sat down beside my grandmother, looked her in her eyes, called her by name and asked how she was doing. Dr. Paul listened as Nan shared her story, and Dr. Paul carefully used common language rather than confusing medical terminology. That day as Dr. Paul set eye level with my grandparents and myself, she shared with us both hope and disappointment. Hope that tumors had shrunk through radiation and the possibility of entering a clinical trial for her specific cancer. And then disappointment came through learning that there were no other treatment options available near our hometown. So she gave us clinical trial paperwork and her staff began the application processes, and she sat in silence with us as we processed next steps. Humanity and science go hand in hand with one another. Regulations and legislation surrounding healthcare often create barriers between physician and patient. Health insurance providers and pharmaceutical companies often value dollars over humans. And we don't have to look far to hear stories of exclusion based on pre-existing conditions, of continuity of care ending because of insurance changes, a lack of available quality care for mental health conditions, and an adequate understanding of the opioid crisis navigating the coronavirus, and the list could go on and on. Humanity without science implies a lack of critical thinking and creativity
0: Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening. Peace and peace to you.